Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hello, hello, my friends. If you are tuning in when this episode first airs, I want to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. For those who are tuning in later and who celebrate, I hope you had a wonderful holiday surrounded by all the people that you love. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, I want to thank each and every one of you for being a part of the Wellness and Wanderlust community and for joining me this week, whether this is your very first episode or you've been tuning in from the very beginning. Thank you so much for your energy and for your support. This week on the podcast, we're talking about intermittent fasting. I know it may seem a little counterintuitive to air an episode on intermittent fasting during a holiday known for overconsumption, but it was really eye-opening conversation for me, and it's a great way for us to rethink the way we approach our eating as we get into the holiday season. Our guest this week is Lori Lewis, a certified health coach who combines her knowledge of nutrition with deep research and practice of time-restricted eating. When Lori first entered menopause, she experienced brain fog, sudden weight gain, memory loss, and more. After four years of struggle, she finally stumbled upon intermittent fasting, which ultimately lifted the fog for her and caused her to feel more like herself. Plus, she ended up losing those 50 pounds. We talk about the myths behind intermittent fasting and how we can practice time-restrictive eating in our own routines, why fasting may be helpful while traveling, how to balance a social life with a new way of eating, and much, much more. I really loved this conversation and have started to adopt a few of these practices in my own life already. Our sponsor for today's episode has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because my doctor recommended I start incorporating greens into my morning routine, and I wanted to cut back on some of the many vitamins I take with breakfast. I work in community engagement and PR, so I'm on the go quite a bit, and time is a luxury. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. I take AG1 every morning before breakfast, and it's great for digestion and gut health, energy, and immune health. AG1 is lifestyle-friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no nasty chemicals. AG1 has high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb, and it's a great way to take care of yourself with a busy lifestyle. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash wanderlust. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash wanderlust to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, friends, now on to today's show. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust today. Hi, Valerie. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am so delighted to have you on the show and to get to speak with you today. Before we really dive in, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell us a little bit about what led you into the wellness space? Well, I was in my late 20s and I'm about to turn 60. So (laughs) that's a while ago, thirty good 30 years ago. I remember waking up one day and having this thought, I think this Diet Coke might not be that good for me. Hmm. (laughs) And then I kind of assessed for myself that I didn't really need to have it or I didn't like, why was that so important? Why do we just automatically eat and drink these things? And that really began a personal interest for me in nutrition and the food that we choose and what's being presented, like all the food in the grocery store. (laughs) Is that actually food? And um, so way back then, I weaned off of soda or pop, whatever you call it, wherever you're from, and uh, sugar and most ultra processed food. And like I said, I just kind of dug into my own personal study of how we fuel ourselves. So fast forward 30-ish years, I, um, well, let's see, at about age 44, I woke up one day and I in the morning and I was sweating up a storm and I thought, man, my air conditioner isn't working. <laughs> and that was not what was happening. That was the beginning of what I noticed of perimenopause, which is the time in a woman's life where you're in transition and your hormones can be quite chaotic and unpredictable. And it's the beginning of a time when we don't 
we can oftentimes not feel like ourselves and wonder what is going on because they don't send us to biology class for older mm-hmm. women. And then we don't even say the word menopause. It's like, oh, hush, hush. Like, and we don't talk mm-hmm. to our friends and we, goodness gracious, can't say the word menopause in front of men. You know, I mean, it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So I love taking the shame and the mystery out of it and speaking openly about this time in a woman's life, which is generally, you know, can be between four and 14 years of transition. So I was really struggling but at that same time, also, I was someone who was fit and, and ate well, and people knew me as someone who took really good care of myself. And then when I went into menopause, which means my period stopped for a year, and you're officially postmenopausal, I suddenly gained 50 pounds. It just packed on for no reason. I always say to people, I ate the exact same way when I was lean and fit. Up, you know, until my early 40s, I ate the exact same way when I gained 50 pounds, and I ate the exact same way when I lost 50 pounds. Hmm. If it didn't have anything to do with food or go into the gym, what did it have to do with? Because people were saying to me, how could you gain this weight? You're the healthiest eater we know. And I'm like, I know it's this huge mystery. So I really tried everything and struggled for many years, for about four and a half years. And the struggle was not as much the weight gain. I mean, that was frustrating and I had to keep buying new clothes and I didn't recognize myself in the mirror, but Mm -hmm. it was mostly all these other challenges of perimenopause and menopause, which were brain fog and memory loss. And my whole body ached head to toe. Like I was in pain and I felt like I'd been taken over by an alien. And so if if people are out there thinking, oh my goodness, is this how it's going to go down? Or some women are like, yeah, that wasn't like that for me. Or other people are like, that's exactly how it was for me. You know, whatever, wherever people are, the answer to feeling better and restoring my health, that is really now my purpose and mission, is that I discovered one night about intermittent fasting, which is eating in a pattern of time and giving my body the digestive rest and what we call flipping the metabolic switch, which is using the fuel that I'm carrying around on board, that our our fat fuel is being used as energy, which right now, most people eating and drinking flavored drinks from the minute we make wake up to the mm-hmm. minute we go to bed, we're not tapping into that energy source, which is our own body fat. And so I learned about that. I was so relieved. I started that very same day. I started eating in an eating window. And within three days, I felt like myself again, like my brightness my focus. I just felt more grounded and clear. And I was like, wow, I'm back. And then the loss of the weight took the 50 pounds came off in about 15 months. But of course, people were asking me, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. And if nothing else worked, how did you suddenly restore your health? And so that began my coaching business where I it's just such a joy every day to be able to support people in dealing with, you know, no more dieting, turning around their health challenges, turning around, you know, normalizing their weight and feeling better and better is just really worth waking up for. It's really fun for me. I think that's so inspiring. And I think so often our interest in wellness and our interest in helping others really stems from some of the experiences that we've had. And I've been so curious about intermittent fasting. It's something that we hear about But I think it can sound really scary to a lot of people because they just hear fasting and they think, oh my gosh, I can't eat anything now. And that's not really the case. You know, you talked about that eating window, but can you share a little bit more about how intermittent fasting works and what some of those benefits are that we can find when we start to incorporate that? Well, I like to call the concerns that people have kind of medical mythology. Like the first one is breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Okay. I I think everybody knows by now that was made up by the Kellogg's company a hundred years ago. So that was pure marketing. And so, um, and then some of the other concerns are about female hormones and blood sugar and doesn't it wreck your metabolism. And so I love addressing all of those concerns. So it's important and valid concerns that people have. But what I want to start with is that if you think about this, pausing from eating and having just plain unflavored water and not being concerned with flavors and nutrients for a good chunk of every day, and it's totally customized, you get to say, matches our biology. 
evolutionarily human beings survived and have like the reason we are here, (laughs) we got here because our ancestors didn't have food. There was food and then there was no food and there was food and there was no food. And every time they had a thought of food or a stomach grumbling, they didn't have a fridge right there or a snack cabinet. And so we have really dieted our way right to obesity and that the obesogenic illnesses and the challenges that people are having health-wise because we are keeping insulin high for a good percentage of every day, which is a fat storage hormone. And that if we can train ourselves pretty quickly, like I said, in three days, I felt better to fast clean and eat in an eating window of your choice, then what we're doing is we are, as I said, flipping that metabolic switch, tapping into our own body fat stores, keeping insulin low, and becoming what we call fat adapted. And then when you're fat adapted and you're using your own body fat for energy, it's this bright, clear, clean, vibrant, like our ancestors had to stay strong and focused with good strength and stamina and um, productivity to be able to go out and find food when they were hungry. So we thrive when we're hungry. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's surprising, right? Yeah, I think about the days when I've been hangry and distracted and that's the only thing you're thinking about. But I would imagine that's because a lot of times the food is having that hold over you that maybe it wouldn't have if you're actually, you know, in a routine where you have those windows in mind. That's right. So the word routine that you said is really important. And that routine is different for each person. You'd look at what are your habits now when people are like, well, how do you start? And what about my blood sugar? I start at the end of the day. So I, I will say to people, okay, look at your daily routine. And when do you typically finish dinner, finish your last actual meal? I'm not talking about snacks. I'm talking about you had an actual meal and hunger was gone and you were satisfied. What time is that? Okay, great. That's when you're closing your eating window. And then after that, you're going to drink plain unflavored water, maybe some decaf green tea. It's got to be bitter tea, no mint or chamomile or no flavors. Okay. Because when the body takes in flavors, And when the body takes in nutrients, it thinks that more is coming. It's like, yay, it gets excited for more. And the digestive tract and the hunger hormones, everything aligns to receive food. So we don't want to trick it like that. That's not awesome. So we want to fast clean, close your eating window at a time that's convenient for you. Fast clean, go to sleep, have a good night's sleep, wake up tomorrow. And if you can add 12 hours to whatever time you decided to close your eating window, add 12 hours. So if it's 7 p.m., then it's 7 a.m. Like if it's 10 p.m., then it's 10 a.m., whatever. Add 12 hours. And that's hard for some people. Some people are really used to drinking flavored drinks right up until they go to bed and drinking flavored coffee or putting things in, you know, stuff in candy coffee, I call it, first thing in the morning. So if you can stretch that to 12. Now, if you're like 12 hours, that's nothing. People are like, I already drink my coffee black. No problem. Okay, great. Push it a little later. Push it a little later. And if someone can get to 16 hours, you're asleep for eight of it. Okay. If you can get to a 16 hour fast and have an eight hour eating window within a week or two, that's really amazing. You will feel really well. So that could look like a lunch at 11 and then dinner at six and closing your eating window at seven or 12 to eight or 10 to six, whatever you get to say and kind of settle in to that eight hour eating window for a couple of weeks. And then what happens is around the three or four week mark approximately. So really you want to commit to this routine, this practice, this protocol for at least a month, because then you're going to be flipping that metabolic switch and shifting into fat burning which is the point where people really start feeling great. It's like, oh, this is what it feels like to be a fat burning machine (laughs) as opposed to a sugar burner. So when you're a sugar burner, like refined carbohydrates and Mm -hmm. and so forth, that's the hangry feeling. But that goes away really quickly. And you might never experience it if you ease in gradually. 
I love that. And I think, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned even just the unflavored drinks, because I don't think of myself as someone who drinks a flavored drink. I'm mostly water and then I do a lot of tea that's unsweetened. But I realize I do sometimes have a fruity tea that it may not be sweetened, but it's and it may be decaf, but it's still doing something to my digestive system. And it is putting something in there that I might not be thinking about late at night because I'm not a late night eater, but I will drink sometimes my, my flavored teas at those times. That's such a good point that I think a lot of people don't consider when they're thinking about fasting. You don't think about the beverages. Yes. And sweetness keeps insulin high. So insulin is great. It's a hormone that is very, very, very important. Every cell in our bodies has insulin in it and we need it. But what's happened in our society is that most people are now insulin resistant. So the cells can't even receive it. Then the body's screaming for more and then it's storing the excess as fat. And what's so cool about pausing from eating and we'll just keep reinforcing, you know, fasting clean and having no flavor that the body's able to have this digestive rest. And when we are fasting, when we're in that digestive rest state, every cell in our body is in repair. So the fasting state is the healing or the healing hours, the, the, the repair hours. And then eating is for nutrition, the nutrition and pleasure and building. So eating are the building hours and fasting are the repair hours. And we need both. We just didn't know it. It's like sleep. We we really don't do well when we're sleep deprived. And sleep is for deep, deep healing, especially of our brain. And we certainly wouldn't go without sleep. And we really can't go without fasting. We just didn't know it. And people feel a lot better. You know, I think that's something a lot of people don't realize too. When they think about, when they hear the words intermittent fasting, they're thinking you hear 16 hours or 12 hours and you're thinking that's all when you're awake. And we already are fasting. Even if you're someone who doesn't get enough sleep to begin with, even if it's six hours or four hours, there is time in the day that you're not eating and that your body is resting. And I, I think that that's such an important piece to be keeping in mind that it's something that our bodies are already allowing us to do and that we can stretch that out a bit longer that it doesn't have to start at 16 hours and it's certainly not all while we're awake and during mealtimes and things like that. That's right. And one of the other things I work with people on is the just automatic that when food is in front of us, we are obligated or we're just compelled to put it in our mouths. It's kind of like, how did that even get there? Or every time we even think of food, we think we have to put it in our mouth. These are new habits. Even, you know, I use the word ancestors because our ancestors certainly didn't eat all the time. But in the last hundred years, it's been beat into us to have three meals a day. But in the last 50 years, it's been six meals a day. And the snack culture really began in the late 70s, early 80s, where people have, I mean, when I was growing up, I'm old, I'm going to be 60 this year. <laughs> but when I was a kid, we, we didn't have a snack cabinet. And I guess having a snack cabinet is a thing these days. But our mom would say, no, you can't have a snack that'll spoil your dinner. Well, I, you know, one of the things I really work on with people is have a meal, eat to satiety. What is that? Eat until hunger is gone. Eat slowly, appreciate, savor. It's so delicious. Eat everything at once. Eat until hunger is gone. Eat until you're satisfied and then pause and then say to yourself, well, okay, when's my next meal? When's dinner? And what yummy food am I going to be eating later? Great. And don't eat in between. <laughs> that is, is just such an important practice for our health to, you know, so I believe in dividing the day into your fasting hours and your eating window. But I also then believe in supporting people in the eating window, eating, pausing, eating again. And what that will have people, really everybody realize is that you focus better, you get excited about your food later, but you're not distracted by food now. And the other really important thing is our ancestors didn't need to deal with what we call emotional eating because there was no food. <laughs> and so we are in a culture now where we solve our boredom, our sadness, our anger, and everything and our joys everything in between with food. 
And, you know, historically people have celebrated good times, you know, occasions with food, of course, as we're heading into the holidays. But I think this is a new thing for human beings to deal with stress with food. And we can get to the other side of that, which is really exciting for peace of mind for people. You know, it's funny you mentioned that too, because I just interviewed someone for the podcast. The episode will be airing, I think, the week of our conversation, so it will be out. And the guest had said, and I never had really thought about it this way, but when you're experiencing that emotion to be asking yourself, what would I do if food wasn't an option, if like food didn't exist? And I never thought about that before. Yes. And people report as new intermittent fasters that for this good chunk of the day, when they deal with, you know, someone being mean to them or just all the things that could possibly upset us in life, that when it's during your fasting hours, they're like, oh my gosh, it's my fasting hours. My eating window opens at whatever time. I now need to think about some other way to cope with this challenge other than finding myself in the bottom of a Hagen does pint, you know, or a bag of Doritos, like what a fill in the blank. And I love that that other, oh, I'm going to look forward to listening to that because the other thing is, is that a lot of people say food is the only thing that I have to look forward to in my day. Yeah. And we can really create other exciting things to look forward to. And that's what I love my job. (laughs) People are like, how hard is it? You just teach people to eat in an eating window. I'm like, oh, it's a lot more complicated than that for most people. You know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that has to be so rewarding and just so fulfilling because I think about, you were talking about the snack culture in the seventies and eighties and I grew up, uh, so I'm 32. I grew up early nineties, early two thousands. And I remember very much the hundred calorie packs. There was a lot of, and they were starting to do a lot more, you know, you would see a lot of the six meals a day, six small meals a day. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, when do I even eat these? They're like, they really are like mini snacks. And at the same time you had the fat free and the sugar free and all of these different things. And it was so confusing to the point that I think in general, because of society, but so many women, because of the way that diet culture always was or always has been in our lifetimes, we if the food has, can have such a hold on us and the thought of food being the only thing to look forward to in the day, I think it is so much more emotional than we give it credit for. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to control us in the way that, that I think it can. And I think something like this, where you're kind of limited and you have to think, okay, well, I can't order a pizza right now and deal with my emotions that way. I can't open the Haagen-Dazs. I need to figure out another way to deal with whatever this is or to feel better in the moment. I think that opens up a lot of possibilities and it can actually be pretty freeing. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love what you said about diet culture and the confusion of being marketed to and sold food of all the time, snacks, and then the myth that eating all the time keeps our metabolism up. So we need to be eating all the time to keep our metabolism up is such a myth because we couldn't possibly have our metabolism rev up enough to compensate for the additional food that we're eating, you know? And so when people talk about fasting and their metabolism, I just want to kind of set the record straight on that, which is um, that when we are fat adapted and we're tapping into our body fat for fuel, our body perceives that as sufficient fuel. It's like, yay, there's a lot here. You know, even if you're at your ideal weight and your ideal body fat percentage, there's a lot of fuel there. So then during those fasting hours, we're revved up the fat burning machine. And then in our eating hours, we're not calorie restricting or dieting. We're eating to satiety, which is paying attention to the nutrients that we're eating and eating high quality, nutrient dense, you know, real whole foods. And then listening keenly to when our body says, okay, we've had enough. And some days the body asks for more food. Some days the body asks for less, but we're paying attention to when it says we're done, we're satisfied. And so when we're doing both of those things, fasting and burning our own body fat, and then eating well and listening to those satiety cues and stopping, then the metabolic rate ramps up because the body's like, yay, there's plenty of fuel here. So when the body perceives enough fuel, the metabolism 
increases. So that's how fasting works with metabolism. And it's just this beautiful dance of really being in communion with and in sync with how our body works. And one of the cool things about fasting is it gets very quiet. Like you can tell the difference between the noise of diet culture and the quiet direction that your own body is giving you. It's really, really beautiful thing, actually. I think that's amazing because we really do, I think, especially with diet culture, we often shut off what our instinct would tell us and we kind of go with whatever it is that the magazine or the food blogger or whomever it is, wherever you're getting that information, but we're kind of going off of what we're hearing and not necessarily how our bodies feel and I know I've even had times where I've eaten because I'm thinking, well, it's a meal time. And if I don't eat now, then how am I going to feel later? Am I going to be exhausted? Whatever it is. And oftentimes, you know, I wasn't that hungry. And I've realized that, hey, I actually feel a little sluggish now from the food I didn't really need that I ate because, well, it felt like it was about dinner time. And even though my body wasn't really asking for it. And I think that something like this, you're really tapping into that intuition a little bit more and understanding our bodies a little bit more and what they need? Yes. Well, there's a reason that fasting is part and has been part of all spiritual, religious, meditation traditions, because it provides this quiet, this rest, this discernment, and it, it provides a clearer thinking and a clearer connection. And so if that's with the divine or if that's with yourself, and it's hard to imagine when you haven't done it. You know, only when you've, it's really 100% experiential. Once you get through those first few weeks and you're creating a new habit and the body flips that metabolic switch and you're fat adapted, then people are like, oh, they'll sit down to eat something that was a normal portion. In the beginning, I say, eat normally. Whatever you normally eat, this is not a diet, eat normally in your eating window. So they'll sit down to eat something normal for them and then they'll eat half of it and the body's like, I'm done. Don't eat anymore. I can't eat anymore. People ask, how do I know how much to eat when I'm intermittent fasting? It's like, oh, your body will tell you. (laughs) And so it actually is easier when people are eating real whole foods and, and refraining, you know, steering clear of ultra processed foods when possible. It's a lot easier to hear that communication when you're eating fish or steak or eggs or vegetables and, and fruits, as opposed to things that come in packages. It's easier. Yeah. It's easier for your body to tell you what it needs. That's so true. I've, I've never craved broccoli when I wasn't hungry and I like broccoli a lot, but (laughs) I could pretty much always, if it weren't for how my body feels, um, I could pretty much always say yes to an Oreo and I might not be hungry and I might not really respond well to gluten, but you know, at the same time, yeah, you definitely, I think, I think the processed foods, that was something my parents used to say too, was that that was something that was like kind of an unfair disadvantage that the next generations that every, that it's getting worse and worse with the food scientists creating the foods so that we are addicted to them. And so that they know exactly how many times you have to chew on the food yes. in order for it to, yeah. And it's so fascinating, but it's evil because they make it so that you want to, you know, you, you really can't eat just one. And so I think Mm. with a practice like this, you're not putting a rule on yourself that you can't have that, but knowing that that might make it a little bit harder or take away some of the benefits of of what you're doing. I think that that kind of helps and gives some freedom to it. Oh yes. Because, you know, think about the last time you were like, Oh, I'm so hungry. It's like, okay, would you eat an apple right now or a bowl full of roasted Brussels sprouts? It's like, no. Okay. Then you're not actually hungry. Dr. Jason Fung, who wrote the obesity code, he's like, there's only so many pork chops you can eat. Right. But we can eat strips and rolls and boxes of Girl Scout cookies. It's like, why is that? (laughs) And so these foods are designed and I say food like products are designed to be what they call hyper palatable. So the intensity of the flavor and the perfect crunch with the perfect creaminess, with the perfect way it dissolves in our mouth, it's so much easier to eat and it's this hit of energy. And people, we've been taught that eating healthy, whatever air quotes, eating healthy is boring and it doesn't taste as good. But whatever challenges people have with their nutrition choices really get sorted out and worked out 
through having an eating window. So I'm thinking of of one intermittent fasting friend who had been on a diet since she was nine years old. She got put into Weight Watchers, which is really common, and mm-hmm. had been morbidly obese her whole adult life, been on every possible diet, gained and lost and gained and lost, heavier and heavier, had the weight loss surgery, it all, lost it, gained it all back and more. And when she found out about intermittent fasting, she knows that she never would have stuck to it if it had been like a diet, if she'd had to follow a plan and told to, you know, what to eat, what not to eat, follow a plan. She would have never stuck to it. But because she could fast, fast clean, put her body into a repair, put her body into fat burning, keeping insulin low for a good chunk of every 24 hour period, and then eat normally for her, the food she liked, over time, our tastes then change. Our tastes can change. Most people who are intermittent fasters for a few months, six months, a year, a few years, they're like, oh yeah, because I started intermittent fasting and restored my normal weight, my healthy weight, and my my health turned around, then people's palates change. And so... I kind of do it in reverse as many health coaches, many health health coaches and nutritionists will be like, we got to get the food handled and then maybe you can try intermittent fasting. It's like, nope, 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 nope. The other way around, the other way around, fast, clean, find your eating window, settle in. It doesn't have to be the same every day. You can shift it around for events and, and so forth. And then over time, your taste will change. So that has been tried and true. <laughs> You know, and I'm so glad that you mentioned events too, because that's something for me, I work in community relations and PR in my full time. And I am now a little bit more in the office than I used to be, but I still end up having sometimes the weird event schedules where you're eating at times you might not normally eat. And so I was curious for something like this because the idea really resonates with me and it's something I'm already kind of thinking about when can I maybe start implementing this, but in terms of any kind of events or anything you might have with work or what have you, yeah, I was going to say, like, does this type of eating still have a strong benefit if you're able to do it, say, six days out of the week or, you know, most of the time? Well, I like to encourage people to always have an eating window. Kind of have in your mind. I always have an eating window. What's it going to be today? Well, with practice, you will discover your sweet spot. What do you love? Some people are like, I love eating lunch at 1.30 and I love having dinner at 6.30 and I close my eating window by 7.30. So that's a you know six-hour eating window or a five-hour eating window or eight or 10, whatever. And it depends on each individual's schedule, your personal schedule and social life and family and fitness and so forth and work and commute, but it also depends on your goals. Okay. So you figure out your sweet spot, then whatever the day holds, like you could look a few days ahead or even something spontaneous. If someone is suddenly like, let's have brunch at 11. You're like, I never eat before one. Okay. Well, how special is that? When was the last, is this a repeat thing that you could change maybe the time? Or are you going to say yes, and just have a longer eating window that day or or shift your eating window that day. So you get to say, yet, if you are new, if this is a new practice, I really recommend trying to have it the same every day for at least the first month or two. So you get it locked and loaded and it becomes your daily practice. But just because you have a longer eating window one day and a shorter eating window another day doesn't mean that you're not doing it. Okay. So along the lines of your question, like, is it okay to do six days a week? Again, it depends on your goals. And for myself, I just decided that I'm a person who fasts every day and I eat in an eating window and the eating window can change. And I'm about to hit my 2000th day. So five and a half years every day, Congratulations. Thank you. It's a big number. It's like, and so what's been helpful for me and the thousands of people I've coached is that you just know for yourself that there's a time when you're eating each day. And then there's a time when your body's in repair and you're fasting each day. And you get to say when that is. But in the beginning, it's really helpful to have it be consistent. 
that definitely makes sense because that really does help, I think, to solidify it because I'm sure that does take some practice and we do so much eating out of habit that I'm sure that you might just start eating something mindlessly and realize, oh my God, no, this isn't this isn't the time that, that I've set for myself. It could be yeah. so easy to fall into that trap and so to kind of get into a habit of, you know, the same times in the beginning. But I think that's also really important that you brought up that if, you know, when life happens, you can still have that eating window and it could even still be the same number of hours. It just needs to, you know, maybe you're shifting it. And this year I've really started to be more intentional about my schedule and kind of looking out at my calendar, however many days in advance and even, you know, looking Mm. at my to-dos for the month sometimes. And that's been really helpful for me to get organized. And I think at the same time, we can be using that same intention toward like, you know, how am I going to change up my eating for the day. How Just like if you have an event early in the morning, you might think, well, I should go to bed a little bit earlier tonight. I think you can do the same thing with your food and still still have the intermittent fasting without doing it at exactly the same time once you've kind of gotten in the habit. So I think that is such an important point you bring up. Oh, I love that. And in the beginning, because we're so accustomed to dieting, in the beginning, it's like, oh, it's one more thing to think about. Like, I I shouldn't, I can't start that now. It's, you know, we're going into the holidays. I I don't need any more stress Mm -hmm. on me. What's amazing about this is people discover immediately like, oh, decision fatigue is gone. It gets quieter. There's less to worry about. There's less food, less preparation, less cleanup, less. It's like, oh, I just know that I'm going to be eating later. I'm going to be eating at two and I know what yummy food I'm going to be eating. So I have that to look forward to. And I can just focus on what I'm focusing on now in my life, whether it's work or, you know, and so that calm, quiet of being able to focus on your life and think about food later because hunger just comes in waves. It doesn't build and build and build until you can't take it anymore. It's like there'll be a little hunger wave and you might have thoughts of food or your stomach might growl, but it comes and goes and you have a nice sparkling water, plain sparkling water or plain water and stay busy. And 20 minutes later, you won't be thinking about food anymore. And so it just that experience of fewer choices and saving some money and saving some time. It's just kind of a cherry on top of all of the health benefits. Oh, yeah. I mean, the amount of time I've thought about food at certain points is is a little alarming. And I think that's something that's so true for so many of us. And so to kind of take that out a little bit and to be focused on what we actually want to be focusing on and the things that we do, I think that's so key. And I, I do have a question for you too, with doing the intermittent fasting, you know, one of the things that we got, like in the morning, certainly you've, you haven't eaten since the night before. So you, so you are already fasting a little mm-hmm. bit, but mm-hmm. say that you're also taking on a workout practice. You hear different things from different people about, you know, should you work out fasted or not? Can you talk to me a little bit about that for anyone that is looking to incorporate this into their lives, but they also still, they, they may, you know, working out in the morning tends to be the best for them and it may not be an eating window. Can you still do yeah. that? Yes, absolutely. Here's what's so great about it. And it really makes sense when we are encouraged by the fitness industry to eat immediately, you know, or or take a pre-workout drink. It's like, wait a minute, I am wanting to use the fuel that I have on board, the fuel that my body is is carrying around already. And Mm -hmm. so again, when you are fasting clean, fasting every day and having an eating window, and then you're fat adapted and your body knows, oh, okay, I'm using the food I last ate. I'm using the glucose in the blood, the stored glucose, which is called glycogen in the liver. And then when that's depleted, I'm switching automatically, naturally, I know how to do it, switching into fat burning. Then the fasted workouts are amazing. So in the beginning, before you're fat adapted, you want to have some gentle workouts and take a magnesium capsule and maybe put a little salt under your tongue, have a black coffee before the workout. Maybe you'll decide to eat right after in the beginning. 
But then once you're a fat burning machine and you're replenishing your electrolytes with plain unflavored electrolytes or minerals, so magnesium, sodium, potassium, and so forth. And there are some, some electrolyte drinks or electrolyte powders that don't have any flavors. And those are the ones you want. But I just take a magnesium capsule and put a tiny bit of salt under my tongue if I feel a little woozy, but that's just usually a need for a hit of sodium. But I feel amazing. And most people do do say that they're shocked at how well they feel exercising in a fasted state. And then if you decide not to eat after the workout, then you're just going to keep burning fat all day until you decide to eat. So (laughs) each individual needs to test it and figure out for themselves what pace and what, again, what eating window works really well. For that individual and and some people are like i love breakfast i want to eat breakfast then you should you should you could have breakfast at lunch or you could you know some people love having one meal a day and you get to say which meal it is or which meals you are gonna enjoy again based on your schedule the foods you love your work your commute your family your social life you get to say when your eating window is and you get to say what yummy food you're gonna eat it's it's really liberating Oh, yeah. Well, and I had a nutritionist tell me that breakfast is a marketing term. And it's so Mm -hmm. true that now granted, if it is in the morning, it's very hard for me to eat like you know, like she, she told me, Oh, you could have a stew for breakfast. I'm thinking I would have a little bit of trouble with certain types of Mm. foods early, but I've always found when people would talk about breakfast being the best meal of the day, I always thought really, cause I feel the best or I usually have my biggest meal. I would say around lunchtime and 12, one o'clock, I really feel my best. Usually if I eat around then, if I eat a little too late and have a bigger meal, I'm going to be kind of sluggish. I like to eat something kind of early, but kind of when I think of my natural rhythms, I like to have that biggest meal more, you know, after I've been up for quite a while. And a lot of times breakfast, I can certainly eat breakfast and I do find myself getting hungry a lot of the time if I don't. But at the same time, it could be really more because of maybe wanting to take vitamins and having something in my stomach versus actually feeling like I need the food at that point. And I'd love to know too, for anyone that has to, like if you have to take medications or really actually, if you have to take vitamins in the morning, or if you, if you are taking vitamins in the morning, would that count the same way as nutrients for the body? Yes. The body takes that. So vitamins are nutrients. And so Mm -hmm. we want to give our body a rest from that. So minerals are different. So minerals, magnesium, sodium, and so potassium and so forth. So I'll just review what the clean fast is. And this was, this phrase was coined by Jen Stevens, who wrote an amazing book called Fast Feast Repeat. And the clean fast is plain unflavored water of any sparkliness or temperature, plain unflavored black coffee, plain unflavored bitter black or green tea, and plain unflavored minerals, electrolytes, and your medication as prescribed. So if you can move your supplements to your eating window, go for it. Some um, like probiotics, most you really want to take with food and take your medication at the time and in the way that your doctor or your pharmacist has prescribed it. And so we want it. You just want to keep thinking, oh, I'm putting my body into rest during these hours. And this is when I'll actually be like strong and bright and focused and energized. When people say, oh, I need to eat something to get some energy. It's like, wait, okay. The body knows that sugar is quick energy, but it also knows that evolutionarily that when we're burning our own body fat, that is this nice, even, sustained. Like people start intermittent fasting and they realize they don't need a nap in the afternoon. They don't need their strong coffee in the afternoon anymore because their energy is so nice and even and sustained throughout the day. So there's no more sugar crashes and surges mm-hmm. and crashes. So the other thing that I wanted, so exercising fasted is amazing. And so is traveling fasted and your wanderlust yes. theme. So I really encourage people to think, okay, if I can, I go water door to door. So I'll have a cup of black coffee at home. And if you think of it this way, I don't want to eat airport food and airplane food anyway. I'm definitely not airplane coffee. Yeah. So, and I want to get to my destination, whether it's the same time zone or 12 time zones away. I want to feel my very best 
when I get to my destination. And when we are not introducing caffeine during those hour, travel hours, and when we're not introducing food and our, our body gets really bogged down with digestion when we're in the air flying. And so I really, I encourage you, Valerie, and everyone <laughs> listening, it's like, okay, huh, you mean I could have a cup of black coffee go to the airport. And if you add up the hours, I mean, travel seems like it's so long, but if you're someone who trains yourself pretty quickly to fast for 16 hours, most people are not traveling for 16 hours. Okay. And so what you'll do is you figure out, all right, what time is it when I leave home? Great. I'm going to drink water. I'm going to see everybody eating in the airport. Okay. I'm going to realize that I don't need to, I'm going to see everybody eating on the airplane. I don't want that food anyway. I'm going to arrive at my destination and get my luggage or maybe go through customs. And then you want to be thinking about what time will it be when I get to my destination or check into the hotel and where am I going to have an amazing meal at the place that is my destination. And then you get excited about that and you have a really yummy, mm. amazing meal and you get right on the time zone that you're in the new time zone. And it's really extra. I've had so many clients test it and many, many, many international flights. And for myself also that um, now I've extended it that, that for any mode of travel, I don't eat in a car, on a train, in a bus, on, on a ferry boat, wow. or on an airplane. It's like, this is my opportunity to resist snack culture and realize <laughs> that I will get to my destination feeling amazing if I drink plain water only and have a very, very, very delicious meal later. So I'm excited to hear if you try that out and how you feel. <laughs> Yes, I definitely need to try that because I really do think about anytime I'm traveling, especially by air, but I mean, you do get this, I think on the long car rides and everything too, that your stomach already, you might be eating things that you're not normally used to, but then in the airport, I mean, I've never really had amazing food in an airport. You also save a lot of money that way too. We got, I, I got myself goldfish of all things the last time I was in the airport. And it's funny, I didn't even eat them the whole time. I, I bought them because I thought I needed something on me and ended up, I was totally fine for the flight. But I bought just a thing of, of goldfish at $14. $14 no! Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's probably the most I've ever, I can't even imagine. <laughs> it's like you got an entire Costco case, size case of goldfish. Oh my goodness. That's really a lot of money. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, everything has gone up so much. So it's like, I really could have, you know, I could have fed a family for like the same amount. Well, I recommend that people not try that on their like first day or third day fasting. Okay. So look at your schedule and again, gradually decide today what time you're going to close your eating window and fast clean and sleep well and, and add 12 hours and then work up to 16. And then at some point when you're getting in a car and you have the thought, Oh, I need a snack. It's like, really? Okay. But like, or I'm get, going to the airport. Okay. Figure out the time. All right. When am I landing? When could I have a yummy meal at my destination? Yeah, I'm going to wait. And I do encourage people, whether you're a new intermittent faster or experienced, to have a little Ziploc bag with you that, you know, might have a few little snacks in it and maybe some magnesium, maybe a little salt. And if for whatever reason you are on the plane and your body says, eat now, I've <laughs> got to eat. And you know the difference. You know the difference between just a little hunger wave and when your body is demanding fuel. And it's really nice to be able to have prepared and have a little something with you just in case that you put in a Ziploc. So I train all my people to be prepared, know when you're eating later, get excited about the food that you'll be eating later and make your life more and more simple by being a person who eats in an eating window. And most people's doctors are pretty excited too, seeing your blood sugar normalize and your triglycerides come down and your liver enzymes. I mean, it's just, it's really exciting to see people working with their doctors and have turning around their health markers, which are super important to have good or optimized numbers. I mean, that's such a tangible way to look at it because yeah, I mean, the lab reports are literally telling you, hey, this went down by X amount and mm -hmm. here's what's going on on the inside right now. 
Yeah, it's so exciting. I mean, I think that we've kind of bought into, and and I was close when I was feeling so in pain and despondent and like, wow, I just thought, I can't figure this out. And maybe I just need to give in or surrender to getting heavier and foggier and achier and more sick forever. Like maybe it really is all downhill from here. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And like David uh, Sinclair, one of the the world's foremost longevity experts from Harvard. One thing he says is human beings have survived as long as we have by being cold and hungry. (laughs) But he also says the number one thing that you can do right now to feel better and to live longer is to intermittent fast. So it's not normal for us to go down into this slow, precipitous decline of health and feeling terrible. And we should be able to sit on the floor and stand back up and chase our puppy around and, you know, to to move. And the people who live in the areas on planet Earth called the blue zones, which are people who live to be generally over 100, those people live very simply and they don't have a long decline of health. They have a really high health span. So there's a health span and there's a lifespan and the lifespan is how long you live, but the health span is how long you're actually healthy. And our health span in the U.S. and Canada is shortening. I mean, it's it's that we can turn it around, spreading the word. <laughs> I totally see that because, of course, like we, we talk about wanting to live 100 years, but you also want to enjoy the time that you have and to live as healthy as you can in that time. I mean, what a what an important thing. And I didn't realize our health span was so much shorter here. And so something definitely really mm-hmm. important for us. And now I did want to ask you too, because you, uh, you know, so you discovered this type of eating during a time of hormonal change. And so for you, that was mm-hmm. menopause. And I'm sure that you have clients who may be going through menopause as well, who are experiencing positive hormonal health from getting to to try out this type of eating style. On the flip side of that too, because I, I think for women, it can be really difficult when we see certain, um, I hate to say diets or certain ways of eating or exercises where the men all lose weight immediately and they they don't have the same hormonal changes that we do. And then when it comes to working out and comes to different things that at different times of the month or different points in, you know, in that cycle that it's just a lot harder or you, you women have to kind of change things up a little bit differently because we may be lacking certain nutrients or we may it may not behoove us to do like a hit workout or something during a period, for example. And so I'd love to know for hormone health in general, or for women in their fertile years looking to maybe have children too, how can intermittent fasting benefit, I would say, and what are some of the effects there? Well, because it's super complicated and I'll try and simplify it because that's a big question that you asked and it's so important. So women who are cycling and who want to have a baby and women who are going through the transition of perimenopause and then there are women who are in menopause and I work with all of them. And so we'll start at the earlier stage. So this is a generalization, but women in their 20s, 30s and early 40s tend to still very much, it's it's evolutionarily part of the way we are designed, is that those during those years, we really push hard <laughs> and really want to produce a lot of results. And so then when it comes to fasting, we kind of apply the same diet mindset of pushing hard and extremism. And it's like, no, 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 no. Okay, ladies, if you are in your still cycling years, you want to be mindful of those first few days right before your period or sometimes even the week before and have a longer eating window. Give your body time to have a longer eating window. And then maybe during your period and then definitely the days or weeks after, maybe you can tighten the eating window up. But I never worked with any woman who could not figure out what eating window made her feel her best during different times of the month. So we just have to give ourselves permission to tune inward and listen to and pay attention to our inner compass and not to the diet culture, diet language, which is very restrictive and extreme and pushing harder is better. It's like, no, 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 no. So you said doing doing a HIIT workout and so forth. So yes, during 
some times of the month, it's a really good idea to do gentle things. And other times of the month, you can really pull out all the stops and go for it and push hard. And same thing with a woman in perimenopause, which is kind of hormonal chaos, and then menopause where it starts to settle back down. But again, insulin and cortisol and estrogen and progesterone, they're all very intricately linked And what's so great about fasting, again, is that we're able to tune in and discover and experiment what's actually the best pattern for our body. And I know women who are in menopause who felt that certain fasting hours and eating windows kind of stress them out. It's like we kind of figure out where's the edge for you? What actually is your sweet spot? What has you feel your best? And those hours and times can change week to week, but they can also change like as a person that's been intermittent fasting for a while they may have a curiosity about a different schedule and we'll see how it feels. So people will say, oh, fasting, you know, raises your cortisol. It's like, yes, like exercise, (laughs) it raises it and it comes back down. We're not talking about a chronic, hard, sustained, stressful push. Okay. There's nothing about this that we want to, we don't want it to be hard. We do want to, for short amounts of time, put our body into a bit of a challenge. You know, hunger is not an emergency. It's a, it's a wave that's going to roll in and go, and then our body will realize, and it'll kind of rest like, oh, good, we're in fat burning now. So women in all stages of our lives, like women with PCOS who seem to not be able to get pregnant now, I mean, have been able to reverse that. And So it's as long as a person is tuning in to what has you feel your absolute best, which is not the way diet culture and diet mindset and diet brain and diet pressure is designed. We're taught to look externally at the number on the scale, at the do's and the don'ts and the calories and the macros. It's like, wait a minute, set all that aside and start paying attention to the fasting hours, the healing hours and the eating hours, and your body will start to inform you of what it needs. And one way that that makes it easier, as we spoke about earlier, is if you are choosing more and more real whole foods, that makes the the, uh, decisions and the communication from your body clearer. I love that tuning in approach. I think that's something, again, it's something we've shut off, I think, so often because of diet culture and because what we've been taught that may or may not be true and the societal pressures. And so I think to really be able to have this tool at our disposal that we can really just start to understand and listen to our bodies in this way, I think is so powerful. And I just had to laugh too about the cortisol because I think waking up raises your cortisol. Yes. And that's something we do every (laughs) single day. And so I am so fascinated by this. It's something I definitely want to try to incorporate. Again, I had started a little bit to experiment with the alternate day fasting, but I was not sticking to an eating window. And Mm. that was something, you know, as, as we're kind of talking it out and thinking, well, that's why I had all of the calories I was going to have in a very short time. And and that also felt very restrictive. And I think anyone that's been in that calorie counting my fitness pal lifestyle definitely knows the, the stressors of that. But I think to really not put those limits on, but instead say, okay, I'm going to be intentional. These are the times I'm going to eat. These are the times I'm not going to eat. I think that just brings a lot more freedom to the approach and allows you, yeah, to, to be tuning in. So I think mm. everything you're doing is just so important and really helping women to, to connect with themselves on a deeper level too. Now, I definitely want to ask you more about all of the resources that you offer and all of the ways that women can connect with you and that clients can connect with you and learn more. But before we do that, I have a few rapid fire questions I ask all of our guests. Yeah. So I'd love to ask you first, and we've been getting into quite a few of them, but number one, what is your top wellness tip? Well, okay, we can take fasting off the table. Then I would (laughs) say getting into a sleep regimen that sleep read Matthew Walker's book called Why We Sleep and really get (laughs) the fear of God kind of, it's like, wow, when we are sleep deprived, we are robbing our brains of much, much needed repair, which will affect us today, tomorrow, and well into our future. So sleep hygiene, sleep, sleep, sleep. (laughs) 
<laughs> I need to do, I say this every single time, but I do have that book on my library hold. So mm. I am hoping, I'm hoping someone finishes it soon. Yeah. That is something that I think, I think all of us or many of us can certainly stand to improve a little bit and put a little more focus towards. I love that. Where's your favorite travel destination? Oh, Venice, Italy, for sure. Oh. When it's cold. I love getting on the Vaporetto, which are the boats that go round and round and just riding the boat in the cold weather and seeing the water and the lights. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful place. Oh, that's so lovely. Oh, that sounds just so incredible and so magical. Yes. And eating one Italian meal a day. <laughs> I mostly oh, yeah. eat one meal. Yeah. That's, that's just my sweet spot is I, I'll have one meal kind of spread out in a four or five hour eating window. Like I'll have a little snack, a little appetizer, and then I'll have a big meal and then maybe I'll have a little something else. And when you're in Italy, that is extra delicious. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's been a few years for me. I think I, I think it was about 10 years ago that I was in Italy, maybe, maybe 11 years ago. And oh my gosh, the food, <laughs> just, I, I miss it. No, that's, that's absolutely lovely. Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Oh my gosh. Okay. I think, <laughs> I think maybe I'd be a dolphin, you know, I Ooh. like uh, being playful and chatty and smart. I don't know. <laughs> And has it having good good friends and yeah in a community. I think I'm a dolphin. <laughs> I love that. I think that's such a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. If you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? Oh wow! I would love to speak Italian, but I would really love to speak Spanish. I mean, I just I it's so beautiful and it's all around me, and to be able to communicate with more and more people sounds really special and important to me. And I love the way learning a language, especially at an advanced age, really really helps our brain. So I would love. To learn Spanish. When I'm practicing, I have I have Duolingo, and I was really consistent about doing it every day. My mm. mom, who um, my my mom is, I think, 63. She does it. She's been doing it every single day for I think three years now. She has not used any streak freezes or anything. So this is her shout out uh, wow. because she 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 won't post about it on social media because she thinks it's a brag. So I'm gonna brag on her. But when I am practicing with her, and when I practice with coworkers, like I feel like my brain works works a lot differently. And I, I feel like a lot more, I feel like a better writer in English. I feel just a lot more capable. So I could definitely see how that, um, you know, helps the brain in just so many different ways. Yes. Yes. And that's so cool that you can feel that. And yay, mom, good job. Yeah. That's really impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so proud of her. She's always like, I need to do my Spanish. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't done my Spanish in a little while, but, mm. um, but I do try, I do try to practice with, uh, with coworkers and people that speak it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a commitment. It's, it's so I think language and Italian is such a beautiful language oh, too. So beautiful. That's mm -mm -mm. a vast, amazing world. So many fun things to do, but you know, as we age for me, especially at this age, turning 60, the health of my brain is of particular interest and importance to me. So yeah. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that should be a priority for everybody. I think language, I mean, it just does so much for us and it helps us to connect with other people. And even if you're not fluent, just to say something in somebody else's language when you're in their country or whatever, they, I mean, there's so, there's an appreciation for it. Mm hmm I just, as you were talking, I was thinking, I'm going to have a new thing. Like people ask me, why don't you eat sugar? I'm going to just tap my head and say, my brain, why do you intermittent fast? And tap yeah. My brain. It's all about yeah. everything I'm doing is for my brain. <laughs> Sleeping early, uh, working out. It's all for my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. Hit me with the next one, Valerie. What's I'm, I'm a little nervous here. What's coming? <laughs> uh, well, my final rapid fire for you is what's next on your bucket list? And this can be career, this can be life, travel, really any area. So many things. Well, I think it is time to go back to Italy. It's been since before COVID. And my mm -hmm. last big trip that I, I took before 2020 was hiking in the Italian Alps. And then I took a ferry boat across from Venice to Croatia, which is so Ooh. beautiful. And yeah, that part of the world is calling me. But also, I've never been to Spain or Morocco. I've never been to Thailand. So I feel like I'm ready to, to ramp up the, the travel and keep oh, exploring. Yeah. 
keep exploring. That's awesome. Definitely. I've really missed the travel myself and I'm finally kind of getting back into more domestic right now. But yes, yeah, Spain was one of one of those places that I felt like I could live there. So that that would be high on my on my list for you. But I think any of those I've never been to Morocco or Thailand, but mm. both of those I've heard incredible things as well. But yeah, travel is definitely a number one for me, too. Yes. It just is so invigorating. And again, I save a lot of money getting on that airplane, flying fasted and and having a delicious meal at my destination. (laughs) I'm I'm really committed to having more and more people realize that they can live extraordinary lives and be really healthy to be 60 and have no aches and pains and on no medication and just feel like I have a whole vibrant future ahead of me. Um, I want to bring everybody along. That's amazing. I think a a vibrant future is something that every single person is striving for. And I think to make that possible for people and introducing them to this way of life is just so impactful and so inspiring. So I really want to thank you for everything that you're doing for your clients and for sharing this message with us too. Because I think, again, it, it definitely has resonated with me. This is something I want to try for myself, but I know that listeners tuning in, this is going to be something that many of them may want to consider as well. So I would love for you to share with us, you know, where we can find you, what all that you offer, and how we can connect. Thank you. I love it when people find me. So my business is called Fast Forward and it's fastforwardwellness.com and people can read about the different programs that I have and one-on-one coaching and you can sign up for a free checklist of how to start so you can just follow the checklist and read some of the benefits and it'll remind you like why am I doing this again <laughs> you know why would I people are like oh you don't have any weight to lose it's like no 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 it people come to it to, oftentimes to lose weight because they heard it's a good diet but they learn pretty quickly that it's much much more than that and working with our body and customizable and so I I love it when people contact me and tell me how you're doing and we could consider working together. I love hearing from people. So it's fastforwardwellness.com. I'll link that in the show notes. And I do want to also point out too, that you have a program to help us through the holidays too. Can you share just a little bit about that? Yes, it's my fifth year. So my first program I ever led was created over the holidays and it's Halloween treats through New Year's bubbly and never having to diet again in January. And it really solidifies this feeling for people that, oh, I can have, I can be healing and in repair and make clear choices and be burning body fat and then eat the delicious and festive food and drinks that I enjoy and never have to diet again in January and restore my health. So I guide people through the holidays together and it's just such a joy. And every year I rewrite the holiday program because so many people repeat it that I'm like, I can't do the same thing every year. So every year it's new. And if people join midstream, then I just send them the recordings from the previous sessions and you jump right in and join in for the rest. And it goes to the end of January. So it's really awesome. I'm excited about it. It's a joy. That's amazing. And I think, again, something that so many people think about this time of year and they think, okay, it's downhill from here with all the candy and whatever it is. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. So I I love what you're doing. Yeah, the holidays, we don't need to stop taking good care of ourselves. It's like, come on, people. Imagine you can enjoy everything and everybody And you can take good care of yourself at the same time. That won't stress you out. (laughs) It's going to make everything better. So yeah. What a a concept. I know. Taking really good care of yourself through the holidays. Woo. (laughs) Well, Lori, thank you again so much for coming on and for sharing your message and your story with us. I think, again, this has been so impactful and I love everything you're doing. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you. Thank you. What a joy. Yes, I've loved every minute. It was such a joy to chat with Lori and learn more about intermittent fasting. I didn't have a lot of knowledge or experience on the topic in the past, other than a botched attempt at an alternate day fasting a few years back. But I really like the idea of having an eating window, and I've started to incorporate one a little bit more formally in my day. So I'm at 12 hours right now, so it gives me a lot of space, but it's something I'm looking to hopefully tighten, and I'll be sure to let you know how I'm feeling and how everything is going. 
Lori is a really incredible resource. So if you'd like to connect with her and learn more, I've linked her information in the show notes. So be sure to reach out. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in and for sharing your day with us. If you have a topic you would like us to explore in a future episode, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at wellness and wanderlust blog. You can also email me at Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, at wellnessandwanderlust.net. One of the best ways you can lend your support to the show is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in from. It helps people to find the show better. It takes just a few minutes out of your day, and it truly makes a world of difference for podcasters when you do share your thoughts. So I would love to hear what you have to say. I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving, happy holiday season, and can't wait to see you next week.